0: You know, um, November, or October was Pastor Appreciation Month, and November is not, but it, it could be Church Staff Appreciation Month. And I just want to, again, before I, I speak, I just want to thank, where's Javon? Javon, can you raise your hand? Um, Javon is directing our, our youth and young adults, and He's been doing that for a a few months now, really since this summer. And we went over, we actually, we have a list of 93 young adults who've come to our service or have been either, at least they attended service one time since October, 93. And probably about 45, I think, that are quite well connected. Either they're serving or in a connect group or just joining in the fellowship activities. But out of those 90, almost half of them are actively connected uh, on a regular basis. And so Javon has been growing uh, the ministry. He's been expanding it. He's been working with the youth. And so, Javon, we just want to thank you for what you're doing. And so if we can... If we can declare November is TIC staff appreciation month—not pastor appreciation month, that's over—but um, staff. And if if you want to encourage them or bless them this month, uh, I would encourage that. Um, but at least, at the very least, say thank you um, for what they've been doing. We also have Claire, who I think is probably in the hallway outside. But Claire, Claire works so hard. I, uh, I forgot something in my office that I needed for Kenya. I went in there on 1010. You know, it's a holiday. I went into the office to pick up something I needed to travel with, and Claire was at her desk. And she jumped up when I walked in the office. I said, Claire, what are you doing here? She said, Oh, I got to finish some work. And, uh, you know, nobody would have known she was in the office, nobody known that she's working like that. Um, but we just have wonderful staff. At this church, and uh, we also have Janet, who I, I think is is probably out in the foyer as well. And so, if you can express your appreciation and your your gratitude toward them, without them, it would be very hard for us to function as a church. And I'm so grateful that they're on staff. Well, Ephesians, we have finished the four week series on giving. Yeah, there's. A, it's, thank you. It's over. It's over. All right, so you can breathe a collective sigh of relief. And we're now transitioning to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a, a phenomenal letter that Paul wrote to a church. And the first half of it is about the gospel and who we are in Christ. And the second half is how do we live out the gospel? And so maybe you're here and you don't even know what the term the gospel means. And you haven't heard that before. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a profound difference between following Jesus, believing in Jesus and other religions in the world. And sometimes people get mixed up and they think that following Jesus is is just like another religion. I do the right things and God will give me what I want. BBC News wrote an article about a nation, a city in Asia, and I won't tell you the city, but, but this is what they wrote. It says, silence descends across the capital as shops are shut, banks close, even the stock market opens late. Most construction work halts, planes are grounded, and military training ceases. Occasionally, the stillness is broken by distant sirens, police motorbikes racing to deliver students running late to their exam. Many nervous parents spend the day at their local Buddhist temple or Christian church clutching photos of their children. Prayers and prostrating are sometimes timed to match the exam schedule. This is uh, the day of the big exam in high school, in secondary school. And the the score that you get on that exam determines what university you'll go to and what opportunities you'll have in your career. And what I appreciated about this BBC article is I believe it, it captures religion. It captures what religion is. These mothers clutching photos in their place of worship prostrating themselves during the exam and asking a God to help their child so they can get a good score, so they can go to a good university, so they can get a good career, so they can get what they want with their life. See, that is religion. Religion is man getting what they want from God. You see, it's, it's hoping that if I do the right things, God will give me what I want. That is religion. That is the religious system around the world. If I serve enough, if I give enough, then God will help me get the degree I want, help me to get the business connections I want, and then I can live the life at the level of comfort I want. And so God is a means to my desires. God is a means to what I want. That is religion. And sometimes we, we think Christianity is the same way. That I, I come to church, I give money. Why? So I can get the life that I desire. And when God doesn't come through, people get angry. And people say, well, I, I, I do all these things. I served. I taught Sunday school. I, I gave money to the poor. I'm, I'm a good person, but I'm sick or I lost my job or this relationship broke out. God doesn't care about me. And there's, can be this anger. Because people believe that the way it works is I give God what he wants so I can get what I want. But that's religion. That's a religious system. And Paul lays out in Ephesians that following Jesus is totally different. You see, God did not call us into a religious system. He called us into a relationship. God did not call you into a religious system. He called you into his family. And when we understand that God calls us into his family and what the gospel really is, it changes everything. It liberates us to live the life that we were created to live, to live a life of freedom, of love, of joy, of peace, the gospel is totally different from religion now don't think that i'm saying that god doesn't care about test scores and careers and universities god knows that every hair on our head he knows the exact he knows every single detail about your life every single circumstance he cares about your whole life but we're going to see that his primary goal for you is not to give you what you want. It is to give you himself and to give you the capacity to enjoy him. And so if you have your Bibles, please open them and keep them open because we're going to be walking through this passage in chapter 1. Three things that I want to show you today that are yours in Christ. Verse 3, Paul Says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So, the very first thing Paul is saying here God is Father. We relate to Him as a Father. The Taoists, when they go to the temple, they need to reintroduce themselves to the gods. I am so-and-so. I live at such-and-such address. I was born on such-and-such day, and this is what I need from you. There is no relationship with the God. Christianity, God is Father. A father knows his children. And so he says, Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in Him. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. In heavenly places. You, you are not partially blessed. Sometimes we may think that God favors one person over another. And, and there may be some things God gives to another person. But what it says here is we have every spiritual blessing. There is no spiritual blessing that you lack. And what are, what are the blessings? If If we look at them in this passage, there are three primary blessings that Paul talks about. And we'll go through each one. But it's we are chosen, we are redeemed, and we are sealed. We are chosen, we are redeemed, and we are sealed. And each one of these blessings, if we understand it, should change the way we live. It should change our emotions. It should change the way we think. It should change the direction of our lives. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We have been chosen. We have been redeemed. We have been sealed. And so, what does Paul say about being chosen? He said, He chose us in Him that is Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now, have you ever chosen something? Of course you've chosen something. Think of what you've chosen. Have you ever chosen a puppy? Have you ever gone to... Any, who's, who's ever chosen a puppy? You go and you see the litter, and you, out of all the options you select... The one that you think is the cutest, maybe the most energetic or least energetic. The one that you think will match your personality. And you bring that puppy home. The puppy did not choose you. You chose the puppy. God chose you. If you wonder if God wants you, if he accepts you, sometimes we struggle with our sin and and we think because of sexual sin in our past, or maybe we stole something from someone in the past, maybe a divorce, maybe an abortion, maybe different sins in our past. Maybe we've just been unkind. Maybe we were a bully in high school and college. And we think, I don't know if God accepts me. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God cares, but God chose you. You're here in this room today because God chose you. He selected you. You are secure. God is the one who initiated the relationship. God is the one who came looking after you. And it's so critical for us to understand this because when you understand it, there's security. When you understand that God chose you, you know that even when you make mistakes, God is not going to throw you out. Even when you're failing, even when you're not living up to your own standards, God is not going to reject you because God was the one who chose you in the beginning. Next, Paul says He chose us. Why did He choose us? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. God decided, God made the decision, you would be holy and blameless. Do you feel holy? Do you feel blameless? Do you feel like you're you're hitting home runs when it comes to following Jesus? I think frequently we can feel like we're falling short and failing because we are falling short. But the thing we need to remember is that God chose us to be holy and blameless. That God decided this person, Tenduma, is going to be holy and blameless. Justin is going to be holy and blameless. Jessica is going to be holy and blameless. God made this decision and He is bringing us into holiness and blamelessness. You see, even while we're failing, God is bringing us. My boys have to go with me if I make a decision. If I say we're going to the beach and I put them in the car, even if they're fighting each other, we will arrive at our destination. Because I have determined we're going there. God has determined that you will be holy and blameless. Your holiness does not depend on your ability to obey God. God is the one who chose you in Christ. God is the one who is purifying you in Christ. And do you see the security this gives you? This drives out fear. Every other religion, people are afraid, am I good enough to be accepted by God? Will I be rejected? Am I still okay? Christianity is totally different. Christianity would say, you in yourself are not okay. But God has made you okay in Christ. Christ. God is making you holy in Christ. God is making you blameless in Christ. He is the one who is deciding where you are going. Next it says, not only has he chosen us to be holy and blameless, but he's predestined us for adoption. This brings it to a whole new level. Holiness and blamelessness is a legal status. Adoption is family. In 2002, I was in Kenya, and there was a, a family from the States that came to adopt a little girl. And uh, she, her father was not living, her mother was not able to care for her, and it, it was this huge ordeal. They flew four family members over from Kenya. While they were in the air, Kenya suspended their adoption laws. And so while we're trying to process the adoption so they can go back, we find out that Kenya will not adopt anyone. And so they've spent all this money to get there. And they're in the process. The girl is with them. And we had to go to court after court. We had to travel to different cities. At one point, we drove two hours in the evening to go to a a town... To find her mother so she would release custody, and we didn't know where her mother was. We just knew she was around this town. But this family was determined to adopt. And they adopt we ended up being able to get this this girl. She got they got custody. She was released. We got a travel document, the day of the flight. We were at the U.S. Embassy all day, and this was right after September 11th. And the, the embassy woman said, nobody's given me permission to give you a visa to take her to the U.S. But nobody said, I couldn't, so I'll give it to you. So as the embassy shuts down, they get the visa, we go home, eat dinner, pack up the things and go to the airport. She was adopted by this family. When you go to that length to adopt someone, you don't kick them out of the family when they misbehave. You stay in the family. You see, God is saying He has adopted you. And the length to which He went to adopt you was, was not just a, a flight. It wasn't just paperwork. The Bible says that we have redemption in His blood We have redemption through His blood. The way that Jesus could facilitate your adoption was by dying on the cross. And so that tells us, that tells us the cost for you to come into God's family. God cannot just overlook sin. God cannot just forgive everybody and and just forget about it. There is justice that needs to be paid. But God did not want to punish you for your sin because your body, your being, cannot handle, you cannot survive the wrath of God that you deserve for your sin. And so God is caught, one, between His justice and His love. And you cannot survive His justice. You cannot make it through the wrath of God. And so what does he do? He sacrifices his son so that you could move from death into life, from wrath into family. You could be released, redeemed from the penalty of sin. You were adopted into God's family as his sons. This is not a casual Thing. Are you secure? Are you accepted? Do you belong? What price did God pay to bring you in? When you pay that kind of price for something, you do not let go of it. God will not let go of you. There is no question of whether or not you belong. There is no question of about whether or not you are accepted. God paid for your acceptance with the blood of his Son. You see, redemption, redemption from what? Redemption means, in the Bible, liberation from slavery upon the payment of a ransom. Richard Culkin says, this was familiar in Roman society in the redemption of slaves. In the biblical background of Exodus, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and they were liberated from captivity under Pharaoh and from God's judgment upon their sin by the blood that was sacrificed by the Passover lamb. And so Paul is reminding the Jews of the Passover lamb, the ransom for God's firstborn son. But the Gentiles, the Romans, they would have known that slaves are set free when you pay a ransom. You see, we are set free because Jesus was the ransom. We're liberated from sin. We're liberated from slavery. And we may think, well, I'm not a slave. Did I really need to be liberated? I'm a pretty good person. But Jesus says that anyone who sins is a slave to sin. John 8.34, anyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. We're not as free as we think. And we can't reach God's standard. The Bible says the wages of sin is death and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And the penalty of sin is death. It's separation from God and it's slavery. We cannot undo what we have done in our past. We are slaves of sin. We cannot not sin. But it's Christ who sets us free. So we've been chosen in God. We've been chosen by God. We've been redeemed by God. We've, been, we've received forgiveness, and forgiveness means it's gone. The way that God forgives is what we read at, in the call to worship. As far as the East is from the West, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. The record is canceled, it is erased through Christ. There is no probation period. It's done. Every other religion is trying to get things from God. Every other religion, if I do this, God gives me, hopefully he'll give me the career I want, the job I want, the money I want, the girl I want, the man I want, the children I want, the house I want, the exam score I want. And so I do things to get God to give me something. But what does Paul say? Why have we been ransomed? Why have we been redeemed? Why have we been forgiven It says, he's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, to unite all things in him. Why did God go to these great lengths to redeem you and to choose you, to make you holy and blameless, to adopt you? Why did he do it? It wasn't to give you stuff. It wasn't so he would be free to give you a career, to give you a family. It was so you could have him. So you could have God. So you could be united with God. So you could be united with the most loving, most gracious, most kind, most joyful being in the universe. God rescued you not to give you good stuff, but to give you himself to the praise of His glory. And we may think that sounds really selfish. Why would God want us to be for the praise of His glory? Why would God say He is, is the one that I'm for? Well, here's the thing. God is the greatest thing you could have. He's not a thing. He's a person. There is nothing greater on this earth than being in relationship with God. Jesus says, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What good is it if you have stuff and you are separated from God? Jesus is the prize. God is the prize. He's not a means to things. He is the goal. He saved you for himself. And Paul is saying, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. This is not something that we have to fight for. This is not a level that we achieve through our good works. This is something that we have been given from the beginning. As soon as we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, every blessing is ours. And the blessing is not a job. The blessing is God. The future is God. Religion wants stuff. The religion wants to manipulate God to get the things that I want. And the goal of my life is self and my enjoyment and my delight and my prosperity. But Christianity, following Jesus, is directed toward God. The other blessing we receive is to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. The sealed, there's a sign of an inheritance. If, if you put money down, it means you're coming back. Once I bought a car. And I went to look at this car. It was a great deal. It was a Honda Accord. And a fantastic price. And I went with my roommate. I was graduating college. I needed a car. I had $200 in my pocket, U.S. dollars. This car was worth, it was being sold for 2400 or $2,200. We went to see it. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'll take it. And the guy is like, well, there's, there's someone else coming to look for it. And I, I was kind of flummoxed. So I, was, I was kind of stuck. And my roommate looks at me. He says, hey, man, you know, I don't know what you're trying to do, but I'm telling you, we can give you $200 right now. And my, my friend will buy this car. The guy says, okay. So we gave him all the cash we had as a deposit, as a promise, we are coming back with the full thing. We went back to the apartment. I pulled out all the money I had, and I went, you know, I I spent it all on the car. This is what Paul is saying. The Holy Spirit is a sign that God is coming back for you. The Holy Spirit is just the beginning of what God is going to give you. And who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the counselor He is the Spirit of truth. He is the one who empowers us. He is the one by whom we can come into the presence of God because He's interceding for us. So the blood of Jesus opens the way. The Holy Spirit prays for us in words and groanings that we cannot understand. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit is God in us as a deposit, as a security, as a sign that this is the partial blessing. This is the sign of what is to come. And what is to come? The fullness of God. And when you put a deposit down, you don't take it back. Because the deposit is enough that it's too painful to lose. You come back for it. If God has chosen you, if God has adopted you, if God has redeemed you, if God has sealed you, you belong. And even in your failures, God will not quit on you. And why does He do all these things if the worship team can come on up? What is the purpose of this? Well, the end of verse 14 is that we would be to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. You see, you've been called by God. You've been chosen by God not to live your own life chasing your own pursuits because they will end up empty. And maybe you're thinking, well, not me. I'll I'll be able to live it out. Just look at someone else who's further along than you. Look at someone who's got more money than you. Look at someone who's got a bigger house, better cars, nicer vacations, a better job, more famous. Just, just look a little bit ahead. Are they really living life to the full? What do we see again and again and again and again? People who live their life for stuff end up with broken lives. People who live their life for the career, they may have a great career, but they don't have a family anymore. People who live their life for travel, they may get to see great things, but they don't have a community. They don't have a place where they belong. You can look at, just look at someone who's ahead of you and you can see where you're going to end up if you chase the same things. You see, God has called you to something so much bigger and so much greater than money. So much bigger and so much greater than, than fame. So much bigger and so much greater than stuff. God has called you to Himself as His Son for the praise of His glory and He is inviting you. He's inviting you to live a life that is bigger than stuff. He is inviting you to live with purpose for the praise of His glory because His glory is the only thing that will endure. All the other stuff is going to burn. Everything else is going to burn. What are you living your life for? What, what, what's your star that you're chasing? What direction are you pursuing? What are your goals? Are you following Jesus like it's a religion? Like if I do the right stuff... If if I give enough to God, if I give that 10%, if I, if, I, if I serve, then God is going to give me the career that I want. God's not going to shortchange you like that. What God wants to give you is so much greater than a career. What He wants to give you is so much greater than a relationship with a girl or a guy. What God wants to give you is Himself. And if you have God, you have everything. And He wants to give you a purpose that is eternal, to live a life for the praise of His glory. There's a, a, a British man who he was one of the wealthiest men of his day. He had received this huge inheritance from his father. And he was a, a cricketer, he was a famous athlete in England. His name was C.T. Studd. And he gave it all up to go to China as a missionary. And he wrote this poem, and the poem is, One life to live, it will soon be passed. There is only one life to live, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only the things you do for the praise of His glory will last. Everything else is going to burn. You will not find life in stuff. Life is in Christ. And you know what? Sometimes God just blesses people with stuff. Stuff, it's not sinful. It's not sinful to have possessions. But I'm telling you, don't chase that as your goal. Chase Jesus. Because there is a life you can live that is so much greater if you will live for the praise of His glory. And that means you adjust the way you spend your time. It means that you adjust the way you spend your money. It, it means it, uh, you adjust your goals and you think, how can I live for the praise of his glory? The, the person that gave this huge gift for Bibles in Chad could have spent it on their self and accumulated more possessions and instead said, I want to give this chunk of money to people in the middle of Africa who've never heard there is a God who sent his son to die for them. And you know, what's going to last? What's going to last? I'm going to tell you there are going to be people in heaven who got those Bibles and they're going to go up to that family. And they're going to say, the reason I'm here is because you gave this gift and I got a Bible. That's what it means to live for the praise of his glory. And we can all make adjustments and we may not have that kind of money to give. God really is not concerned about the amount you give, but where it's coming from and your heart behind it. In fact, Jesus says that the woman who gave two NT dollars... Gave more than everybody else because she gave all that she had to live on. And so it's not about the amount you give. It's about what you have. It's about where you're headed. It's about the direction you're going. Are you going in the direction of the praise of his glory? Are you going in the direction of God? I want you to give me what I want. Is Jesus a means to get what you want? It's time to change. Today is the day. Because you know what? Even if you're trying to use Jesus, let me tell you, He loved you so much He died for you. He redeemed you. He made the way for you to be adopted. And even if you're trying to use him, he's not letting go of you. That's the good news of the gospel. When we're at our worst, God loves us. What do you need to tell God today? What do you need to tell him? Do you need to get off the self-track and get on the praise of His glory track? To live a life that's seeking to be united with Jesus, not seeking to get what you want from Jesus. Today's the day. The moment can be now to reorient your life to the purpose for which you've been redeemed. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment to tell God what you want to tell him. If you need to repent, if you need to say, God, I've been living for myself. God, I've been trying to use you to get what I want. Then you just say, God, I'm sorry. I want to change. Lord, I pray that we would reorient our lives to the praise of your glory. I pray that we would live in the truth that we have been chosen. We've been redeemed. We have been sealed for the praise of your glory to be united with you. And I pray that you would help us to turn our eyes from our own track, from our own pursuits, our own goals, And I pray that we would chase after You and that we would live for the praise of Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.